TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Pleaded with, which is just incredibly. Zach, was the last time you've uh, you, you've had you've had a move? Just yourself? Uh, my freshman year of college, I went down to Pennsylvania. So you probably did that one car load, I would bet, right? Yeah, I mean, my dad got a truck a few months before, so it, it worked out pretty nicely. Sure, sure. So, I, you know, this is my third move in two and a half years uh not by choice really the first one our our move when we were living on main street i was living in the theater district it was an amazing apartment we loved it it just we were kind of cooped in for uh for covid and it was an open concept and there was really nowhere for me to do my podcasts and not have to have my girlfriend like sit on the couch with the tv on mute and not talk and that's just like not a great living situation when we're both working from home you know talking loudly both on meetings it just wasn't logistical so we decided you know we love this place but we're going to move so we found uh, a buddy of mine owned a house in, in Elmwood Village and we moved there uh we loved it uh it was a great space it was big had a garage had a porch had everything we really wanted he ended up selling the house and the new owners that bought it um are you know moving into our apartment when they buy the place so uh we've been there for like 10 months almost a full year now and we're we're on our way again and we found our new place and started moving in on memorial day weekend which let me tell you i would rather do anything in the world i would rather be waterboarded than to have to move on 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 memorial day weekend now, was that something you had to do, or was it just poor planning and all June of a sudden? June 1. Yeah. So, something you had to do. Not great. Something I had to do. Um, and, and I am a classic under-preparer when it comes to this stuff. Rather, it's not my lack of preparation. It's more of my belief that I can cram all of the, my life's things into the final day. This dates back to school. This is... I think almost the primary reason I was diagnosed with ADHD because, you know, one of the big things is like you procrastinate until the very last minute so that you can create a level of pressure on yourself. It's a sickness, the the level of pressure that I put myself under, right? So we, I, my girlfriend started doing a lot of things prior. She's a preparer. I am not a preparer. Um, but she also owns 94% of the items in our home. If I were to move today, if we broke up and I moved out on my own today, I could be out of my house and into a new house in three hours. No question. Now, the new place would have nothing. There would be no furniture. There would be three televisions. There'd be wall mounts for those televisions. There'd be nowhere to sit. There'd be nowhere to eat. There would be nothing in the fridge. There'd be nothing in the cupboards. And... I would be sleeping – there'd be some air conditioners, though. You could bet your ass there'd be some air conditioners. Um, but, you know, it doesn't take me a long time. She's got a lot of things, right? She's got a lot of kitchen things, got a lot of office things, bedroom things, beds hers, couches hers, tables are hers, uh, the chairs in the kitchen and the – you know, everything's hers. So um, because of that, I think my mind decided, like, well, my my stuff takes – 
three hours. I'll be good to go. Um, but I've done this. We've been dating for five years. Like, I, I know this isn't a surprise to me anymore. So, you know, I should have been better prepared for it. It was terrible. All day Saturday, uh, moving, and then all day Sunday, cleaning the new place. All day Monday, moving again. And then Tuesday, having more movers come to move more stuff. And then by the time Tuesday rolled around, which was the 31st, right, um, we had gotten most of the stuff in the apartment. We were cleaning out the old place. We're still not done cleaning out the old place, by the way. So luckily, those people aren't moving in like today. Uh, but overall, I guess where I'm going with this is it was incredibly, incredibly stressful the last couple of days uh, moving. It was not fun. I did not have fun. I will never have fun moving, and I may never want to move again. So if you are moving uh, and you need someone to counsel you through it, if you need... I'm your guy. I've done it a lot over the last couple of years, and I hate it, and I'd love to tell you about the great moving companies we've used. So if you've got, if you've got questions, if you, you know, are, are heading into a stressful move yourself, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to, to give you my advice on how to not be me essentially. So, um, but welcome everybody. I'm happy to be back. I know it was the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Zach for filling in last week, Derek Kramer, the week prior, uh, as I kind of got my life in order and figured out, um, it's been a you know interesting couple of days in the NFL. It's been an interesting couple of days in the NBA, in the NHL, with the NHL playoffs as well. So we're going to talk about all of that today. Um, obviously, you know, for me, I, I like to talk about the Bills. I like to talk about the NFL. But I also like to talk about the NBA. Mark Stein, uh, formerly of ESPN, he's going to join us at 1 o'clock today. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals. I've got uh, former Bill, Doran Dickerson, who... <laughs> I, I've been on with Doran before on his pregame show last year, week one, when the Bills and Steelers faced off. Him and his partner, uh, I was both. I was on with both of those gentlemen. And I can't remember at the time if I had told Doran Dickerson that I basically vividly remember his career here in Buffalo, which was only one year, 2012. It was the Ryan Fitzpatrick year, 6-10. and 10. Uh, We're talking David Nelson. We're talking Freddie. We're talking C.J. Spiller, 1,200-yard season, six touchdowns. We're talking Stevie Johnson. We're talking Scott Chandler. Um, this is 2012 would have been the Patriots year. I believe that they won in week three, they go three and zero, and then they win three of their next 14 games or something like that. Um, but Doran's going to join us at noon. We're going to talk a little bit about the Steelers OTAs that were going on. Everyone had OTAs last week. Um, but we're going to talk about this quarterback competition because it is a competition. Mitchell Trubisky has started OTAs at the top of the depth chart with um, with the Steelers. And behind him, first-round pick Kenny Pickett. We're going to talk to Doran about Kenny Pickett. I, I'm not going to lie. I did not see them going Kenny Pickett. I thought it was you know, at least for me, was going to be Willis, and it wasn't. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about what the season looks like for the Steelers. Stephon Tuitt, who is a, you know, I'm a big Notre Dame fan, as you know, and he was a big Notre Dame alumni um, for Pittsburgh and a dominant defensive lineman, suddenly retired this week. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that. So we've got a lot to get to in terms of the, pay, or in terms, in terms of the Steelers. Um, Steven Ruiz is going to join us at 1130. He's our first guest of the day, and we're going to talk about the first topic that I'm going to kind of get into in here in just one second. And then at 1230, Mike Tanier, who's a semi-regular on this program here on Saturdays, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dolphins because the Dolphins had themselves a week, and they'll pretend that they didn't have a week, and they'll just pretend it's you know normal for people to take take victory laps about 55 yard passes in practice which no one claimed that Tua couldn't do but 
the the level of insecurity. I'm not going to ruin it right now, but the level of insecurity that exists in the city of Miami, where they've got to post screenshots of Buffalo weather to make you feel bad, that just tells you the level of insecurity that fan base and that organization and everyone has about that team. It's just absolutely bananas. I've never seen anything like it, and there's no better person to talk about this and have a good hearty laugh. Guys, we're going to sit around a fire, we're going to crack a couple beers, and we're going to laugh at the Dolphins. So join us at 1230 to do that. Uh, it'll be fun. But Stephen Ruiz, right? We talked a little bit about this um, a moment ago. My, my first guest of the afternoon, or I should say late morning, is going to be uh, Stephen Ruiz. And Stephen's been on the show before. Um, you know, he probably is more well-known by Bills fans for being kind of like an anti-Josh Allen guy early on, but changed his tune. Um, But Steven writes for The Ringer. I think he's fantastic. I think he does fantastic work. Um, And I want to bring him on because I think he's uniquely qualified to talk about sort of the topic I wanted to talk about today and get a little uncomfortable with you guys talking about the Bills, which is the expectations that have been set nationally for the Bills, right? Let's, Let's lay this down for just a moment. Right, so the Bills are are pretty much consensus Super Bowl favorites right now. In the AFC, they are consensus AFC number one seed and will be the team to represent the AFC. Their quarterback Josh Allen is pretty much the consensus favorite to be this year's MVP. Their coach is almost consensus favorite of being coach of the year. And the more and more you go down this list of all the expectations and all the things the Bills will or should do. I start to feel a little uncomfortable. And the only reason I feel uncomfortable is not because the Bills haven't had these expectations before. It's been very recent that these expectations have kind of come into focus, right? Like, the Bills haven't been in this position for that long, and I view it in a couple of ways. You can embrace the expectations and enjoy them, which I think you should, because for 17 years, there was literally no... The only expectation is that the Bills would play football games come September. That was it. That was the expectations for the Bills. And now, the expectations are, well, they should be playing games late into January, and frankly, they should be playing in the game in February this year. And that's the expectation. And for me, there's a level of discomfort that comes with that, because it's just not a position I'm familiar talking from. That I'm, I'm familiar talking about other teams... When the team you cover, the team that you watch, and the team that you talk about regularly is so – there's this level of expectation with them that it's hard to place your attention anywhere else. It's also weird that I don't feel like I need to or fans need to defend those expectations, right? Like no one out here is arguing the Bills aren't that team, that the Bills shouldn't have those expectations. That to me is the weirdest part about this. For a long time, let's start. Let's say starting in 2015, right? We're talking Rex Ryan. We're talking the offenses. Tyrod Taylor, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, Percy Harvin. They've got LaShawn McCoy in the backfield on the defensive side of the ball. they got Stephon Gilmore. Like, this is a team that had some expectations for the first time in my, you know, adult life. Right, 2015, 100%, that's the year expectations were risen. It's because of the head coach, Rex Ryan. He's out in public. He said, you know, Super Bowl, we're going, man, we're going. Remember, like, the the introductory press conference, right? The coach came in and set unreasonable expectations for a franchise that hadn't been relevant in, you know, 15 years prior. So this is different from that. But the expectations, for me anyway, started in 2015, but they really didn't take hold until 2019-2020, and now the expectations, they are level. They are steady at be elite. 
You should be elite. And they'll only be this high as long as Josh Allen is that dude. And right now, he's that dude. And there really is no path, there's no scenario in my mind where Josh Allen's not that dude unless... Some sort of catastrophic, I'm knocking on one, catastrophic injury or something goes awry and he and the, the organization get into a, you know, Tom Brady-like or, you know, Baker Mayfield-esque type relationship. And God, I don't see that happening at all. So, you know, Josh Allen's on the match, right? And you see what I think most people would widely agree are the four best quarterbacks in football, right? Allen, Mahomes. Brady Rogers, former MVP, greatest of all time, current, you know, goat in Patrick Mahomes. And then you got Allen, who's not out of place in that group. You know, back-to-back MVP MVP winner, Super Bowl champion. Six-time Super Bowl champion. Is it five or six with Tom Brady? I don't care. I don't want I don't need to be right about that. It is what it is. You know, and multiple time MVP and Super Bowl MVP, Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback ever. And Patrick Mahomes, who's got a Super Bowl MVP, has a Super Bowl win. And you've got Josh Allen, who is not at all in, in the in those accolades, right? Josh Allen doesn't have an MVP. He's got an MVP runner up. Doesn't have a Super Bowl appearance, doesn't have a Super Bowl win, doesn't have a Super Bowl MVP. Doesn't have an all-pro. Doesn't really have a true Pro Bowl selection. Yet, he is not out of place. Like, he doesn't look like the tadpole in a group of largemouth bass, right? Like He doesn't look like that. He fits in there. And that's a weird thing for me. You know, and the expectations without true results is interesting to me. It's a conversation worth having. And, you know, for me, whether the expectations that have been placed both on the Bills and individually Josh Allen, they come from a place of collective confidence that I'm not sure. And there's this level, there's this concept, right? There's this narrative that teams that are knocking on the door. And I was listening the other night on my way back from the golf course, right? And it was earlier this week at CBS Radio was talking about the Rangers right now, right? Rangers are up 2 nothing against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And there was this thought that, man, the Rangers are knocking on the door, right? They went down 3-1 to one in the opening series. They came back and won that series. And if the Rangers don't do that, the Rangers are on their way to a Stanley Cup final right now. Now, it goes back to Tampa. Things can change in Tampa. I'm, they probably will change in Tampa, right? I, I, don't, I do not expect the New York Rangers to sweep the Tampa Bay Lightning. But they could. But I guess where I'm going with this is, I don't mean to like reverse history or change history or anything, but I think it's applicable to the conversation, right? Like if the Rangers don't come back in that first round series and they don't win four to three in game seven, do they ever get back to the point where they're two game two wins away from a Stanley Cup? There's no guarantee in that. You know, like this is what this is what the conversation around Kansas City should be more of. Kansas City found themselves in this wide open Super Bowl window, and they traded one of their best players, one of the most unique players in NFL history, in Tyreek Hill. I don't like him. I think he's not a great person. He's done a lot of crappy things off the field that really don't warrant his presence on a team or in the NFL. But here he is. He's here, and a team in the Miami Dolphins paid him lots of money, even though they don't have a quarterback, and. The Kansas City Chiefs made a collective decision that they wanted to prioritize keeping Patrick Mahomes upright by going out and keeping money so they can re-sign Orlando Brown Jr. They signed Joe Tooney last offseason. They drafted Trey Smith, 
right? Like they've got all of these things and that's great. And they've got Travis Kelsey, who's on a great, great deal right now. Probably the best deal in the NFL in terms of production and the position. But like that window has not just shrunk, it's shrunk immeasurably. It is so much smaller now today than it was four months ago when Tyreek Hill was finishing the season with Kansas City. It's smaller. Part of that is a belief in an expectation that with your quarterback, you can overcome things. That you can overcome just about anything. And good for you. I'm glad. I'm not sure there's any quarterback ever that has won the way the Kansas City Chiefs have won with Tyreek Hill that have decided that he's really not that important to their Super Bowl window. Because that's what they ultimately decided. They decided Tyreek Hill was not important enough to their success to pay him the money that he was going to make on the market. That's silly. But they're in a different position than the Bills. The Bills had no choice, in my opinion, but to re-sign Stephon Diggs. There was no choice involved. They have not had the luxury of winning a Super Bowl, hosting four straight AFC Championship games, losing another Super Bowl, right? Two Super Bowl appearances, four AFC Championship hosted. Patrick Mahomes has not played in a road playoff game in his career. They have you slack. They've got length in their rope that the Bills do not. Until the Bills get there, win one, or even just get there, right, to the Super Bowl. They don't have the ability to walk away from a player like Stephon Dix because they haven't done it with this group. Now, this group, this is probably the truly the last year you run it back with, quote, this group. And who do I mean by this group? Or like Mike Hyde, Jordan Poyer. I don't know how much longer those guys are here, right? I mean, Trey White's here for a long time. Dawson Knox. I don't know how much longer Dawson Knox is here. Gabe Davis. I don't know. You know, like these are, these are going to be tough for us. It is hard to be good for a long time and to expect year after year that the Bills are knocking on this door, right? An AFC championship appearance two years ago, a divisional round loss last year in one of the greatest games ever played in terms of a playoff game. The expectation that they'll just be back there next year in that same position. It's awfully, it's awfully lofty. It just is, to me, it's an uncomfortable place to be. To just assume they will be back in that same position. Now, I believe it. I believe this is probably going to be their year, right? Like, if there's ever a year for the Bills to win a Super Bowl, feels like it's got to be this one. So I think part of it is a process of elimination. Feels like it, right? It just feels like this should be their year. But B, feels like it has to be their year. I don't know how many true other chances this team, this organization is going to have in this window. I don't know how big the window is. But I will tell you that every single window to ever exist in the NFL, short of Tom Brady's window, has been finite. It's been small. It has not been long. It has not been extended. It has not been decades long. In fact, most Super Bowl windows last two to three years. Ask the Seahawks. Right? I mean, did anyone think that that Super Bowl, that that Russell Wilson threw the game-losing interception to Malcolm Butler, did anybody think that was going to be Russell Wilson's last Super Bowl appearance? No. But it was. Legion of Boom. Ain't around no more. So, I, I part of the... And listen, there are so many more examples of teams that... like. Are the Cincinnati Bengals in a Super Bowl window? They could be. 
I would think that what their window was, their window might have been one year. I'm not sure that that's a roster that can be consistently at the top of the AFC North and therefore at the top of the conference each year, year in, year out for the next couple of years. That is how precious and finite windows can be. They can be one season, right? Like, the Bills could have had a one-season run. Frankly, 2020, they don't get to that Super Bowl. They really kind of lose running away in that Kansas City game. They haven't been back. They lost the game before that last year. They lost the division round. They did not get to the conference finals last year. So I think it's it's something to think about. It's something to consider. It's something to keep in the back of your mind as you walk into this season. We talked about this last year. Bulldog at nauseum talked about this. It talked about wanting to enjoy the ride, right? Like enjoy the experience in a year where you're expected to be a Super Bowl contender. The Bills are back there again. Right, We're one year removed from wanting everyone to just enjoy it. And the same thing should be said about this year. There should be a conscious effort to enjoy the regular season games, the preseason training camp, because once they're gone, it's a new era. Once this season's over, there's no guarantee the Bills will be the Super Bowl favorite next year. It could be possible, guys, that the Baltimore Ravens take a huge step this year and Lamar Jackson becomes the pocket passer that we all know he's capable of being and the offense evolves, and that's the best defensive backfield in football, and that defense is number one in the league, and they protect Lamar Jackson better, they get J.K. Dobbins back, and Rashad Bateman's good, and all of a sudden, the Ravens are now a perennial AFC power. That could happen. And if that happens, the Bills could take a step back. And that window could potentially close, right? The Chargers. Chargers have J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack now. That's a formidable group. They got Everett, tight end. Like a decent young guy at the tight end position that's better than Jared Cook was. That's a team that could absolutely walk in this year and become the new Bills, right? Talked about Cincinnati. What 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 happens? What about the Denver Broncos? What about the Las Vegas Raiders? So I think part of me, I look at the AFC landscape, and that has to be and has to be a part of this. Um, so I think for me, it's just it comes down to a level of our expectations too high? No, probably not. But I don't know how long this window exists for. So we should enjoy the window while we're in it because Tomorrow, next year, it could be very different, right? If Dawson Knox, you know, doesn't sign, if they don't decide to franchise Dawson Knox because they got to franchise somebody else, right? Tremaine Edmonds is probably gone next year. Do they franchise him? They're going to have options. They're going to have decisions to make with the franchise tag. Probably Dawson Knox, right? Like Dawson Knox probably plays on the franchise tag because it's cheap for tight ends. But. You know, listen, part of this conversation is Bill Scott Von Miller. That changes conversations about everybody, right? Von Miller will change the dynamic of your organization. He has. He's changed the dynamic of how people talk about the Bills because of Von Miller, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a superstar Hall of Fame player, and that matters when you've got those kinds of players. The Bills have several of them. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued about the national perspective of the Bills, how they're viewed nationally, not just here in Buffalo. These expectations are not Buffalo-based. They're nationally based. 
hard to find somebody who's poking holes in the Bills right now. In fact, I don't really know of anyone that's like, well, hey, here's some you know advanced analytics numbers that might suggest the Bills aren't as good as all of you people are talking about. Those, arg- those arguments, those articles don't exist. Everybody agrees. It's universal. Which is interesting for me. 803-0551-888-552-550 are your numbers to call. If you've got a thought on this, I'd love to hear it. we got Stephen Rees of The Ringer. He's going to join us next. We're going to talk about these expectations, what to expect from the Bills this year, and uh, ultimately what to expect from the AFC in a loaded AFC conference with some of the best quarterbacking, young quarterbacking, I've ever seen. So Stephen Rees of The Ringer joins us next on the Western Hotline. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday right here on WGR. All right, y'all, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Rolling along this morning, we're headed to the Western Hotline for our first guest of the morning and our show. It's Steven Ruiz of The Ringer. He writes about the NFL, covers all things NFL. Steven, thanks for joining us this morning, my friend. I appreciate having you on again and appreciate you giving us some time today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Always, always fun to come on uh, Buffalo Radio. Yeah, isn't it? You know, there's something about Buffalo now that uh, the team is good and perennially good that um, there's not there, there's less of this like complex of like wanting to set the record straight if anyone just doesn't necessarily you know just drinks the Kool Aid and uh, you know you've never you've never claimed to be a Kool Aid drinker. Uh, last time I checked, Stephen. No, no, I do enjoy Kool Aid. I haven't had it in years, but. Uh... Not not the football Kool-Aid. I right. Don't, I don't partake. <laughs> when given the opportunity to drink Kool-Aid, you will do it as long as it is not. it doesn't pertain to an NFL franchise. That's right. I got That's it. Right. Got it. Just wanted to set the record straight. So and listen. Uh, the Chargers. Yes. Well, Chargers. well I mean, that's, that's a separate story. We're going to talk about a little bit of that here in the next couple of minutes because, you know, kind of where I wanted to bring you in today, Stephen, is to talk a little bit about expectations. And, um, you know, they are sky high here in Buffalo. And I, I think rightfully so. It's a team over the last couple of years, um, particularly the last two campaigns that have sort of been knocking on the door. Right. And the quarterback has been playing at an elite level. Uh, maybe no more relevant than the last game of last year where he puts on one of the greatest, you know, final two minutes that uh, I think we maybe have ever seen in a playoff game. But Steven, where are you in terms of sort of the expectations for the Bills in this 2022 season? They're, they seem to be sort of at the top of everyone's Super Bowl list. Their coach seems to be at the top of every coach of the year list. Their quarterback at the top of the MVP list. That's a lot of expectations for a franchise that has not made it to a Super Bowl in two decades. No, I think I would be right there with everyone else if not for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid still existing. It's kind of like the Chiefs or the New Patriots where you give them the benefit of the doubt until they lose. But on paper, I mean, the Bills look like the Super Bowl favorite. And not, just looking at their division compared to the Chiefs division and everyone else in that AFC West and even the AFC North kind of feel like those teams are going to eat themselves while the Bills have not an easy division by any means, but a, uh, easier road to to go down during the regular season. And then you look at the roster, and it's really hard to find obvious holes. And I think one thing the Bills front office did this offseason was they didn't panic. They didn't really chase those, those holes and try to fill them like we've seen other teams do in the past. And that's where teams make mistakes. The Bills kind of, like, let the guys come to them and just filled in the holes when that happened. Like, the the run defense, they didn't really go out of their way to fix it. Bringing in Daquan Jones isn't a huge deal, but I think he's a great run defender. Tim Settle is great depth as a run defender. Uh, they get Elam in the, 
in the draft as a second corner, which they really needed, and I think he was one of the better uh, cover corners in this class. It's just like even the Von Miller deal. I know they gave him a lot of money, but it's not like they have to have to give up draft ca- capital to give them get them like right. the Rams did last year with the trade. So I just really love their offseason. This was a team that probably should have went to the AFC Championship if they could defend for 13 more seconds. I, I, I don't see a weakness on paper, maybe outside of the offensive line. Yeah, and that offensive line, Stephen, I think is in an interesting situation right now, right? Like they bring in Roger Saffold, who I think most people across the league would agree is definitely on the twilight end of his career, but is a guy that, you know, quote-unquote, I'll put finger quotes around it, made the Pro Bowl last year. And I think if you want to just put one for one, I do believe he's probably an upgrade over Daryl Williams at the left guard position um, or at the interior position. They move Ryan Bates over to the right guard, and maybe Spencer Brown takes a step this year. But I think it's important to talk about this offensive line in terms of whether or not it matters, right? Because... Josh Allen last year under pressure, it was almost like if you're a defense, you don't want to put him under pressure because that is really where he thrives. And I'm wondering where you stand on whether or not it matters if the Bills invest heavily in that and have a top five, top ten unit when Josh Allen sort of thrives in those situations. Yeah, I think Allen's one of those quarterbacks where the the opponents would rather keep him in the pocket rather than flush him out, and that's rare. And I do think that helps an offensive line just naturally because now the defensive line isn't really pinning their ears back and rushing. They're trying to contain them in the pocket. So Josh Allen's presence just makes the pass protection better. It makes their job easier just by being there. I think it matters more in the run game. And I think we kind of saw this last year, how they kind of shifted towards a more heavy personnel, more under center as the season went along. We saw the fullback get more snaps, uh, Reggie Gilliam, and then now they bring in O.J. Howard, a second tight end, so they can do two tight end stuff. Roger Saffold is a guy that is, a, I think, a better run defense, uh, blocker than pass blocker. So you kind of see them starting to build up this run game, and I think that's where it's going to really matter. I, like you said, like Josh Allen is going to figure things out. He's a magician. Even under pressure, it's not going to matter. I don't think the pass protection unit is going to matter as much as the run blocking unit. And we saw last year when – Teams started to take away those deep shots that they were driving on in 2019, 2020. They went to play action. They went to the under center to kind of unlock those deeper areas of the field. And I think that's what we're, we're going to see a continuation of that. And now that Kevin Dorsey taking over for Brian Dayball, Dorsey in Carolina, he was that's the kind of system he was in. It was a lot of tight ends, a lot of backs on the field, play action, deep shots downfield. It wasn't like spread them out and try to get crossers open in Carolina. So maybe – I think we're going to see a different type of offense, and this offensive line is going to play a huge role, a bigger role than it has in the past when the running game was really like a break glass in case of an emergency situation. Steven Ruiz here from the Ringer on the Wester Hotline, and I'm glad you brought up the run game because I, I think if you're a Bills fan, you probably look at the run game the last two seasons while the Bills' offense has been a perennial top-five team. You know They have not had to rely on that run game, and it's because the pass game has been so prolific and the play action in particular has been so prolific. And now you bring in Dorsey, you move out Brian Dable, and now everyone here is sort of wondering, and I think they may not say they're wondering about this, but I know it's in the back of everyone's head, right? Like some people... People, and myself included, are worried about like not messing with a good thing, right? And the good thing is right. throwing the football better and more efficiently than a lot of other, you know, than 28, 29 other teams in the league. Now, 
to say that this team might want to sprinkle in and layer in more running of the football, do you view that as a good thing? Do you view that as something, right, like this, the the boogeyman in the room in Buffalo is this word called balance, and it's the worst word in the whole wide world and the entire vocabulary that the head coach can talk, right, talking about balance, because there is no right definition of it, I think, right? Because I don't know what Sean McDermott's definition versus Andy Reid's versus, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan's. I would assume Shanahan's and McDermott's, Shanahan's and, and Reid's are very, very different from each other. But what could an efficient or maybe more efficient run game do for this offense under Ken Dorsey, knowing that they will be able to play with more personnel packages this year than they did last year? I think efficiency is the key word. I don't think volume is really uh, – should. I don't think it should be the goal for this team because they are so good at passing the ball, like you said. It's just being able to get into formations and defenses have to respect the run game. They have to bring that extra player into the box. They can't play too high safeties. Or they have to really you know, fudge the numbers inside in the box if they do want to play too high safety, and that creates problems for the front in other ways. So I think it's more – the threat of the run and like we could do all these different types of schemes you can't really do a lot if you have three receivers on the field unless those receivers are cooper cup and robert woods and they can block really well and you're running condensed formations like the rams have when they play 11 personnel but that's not what the bills personnel looked like they had cole beasley out in the slot they didn't have him blocking and close to a tight end now beasley's gone you bring in oj howard and i think that those having two blockers in tight ends and another blocker in a fullback and then a running back. And then you have Josh Allen as a guy who can keep the ball definitely. And he's very effective with the ball in his hands. Now the defense has so much to worry about. And that's before you even think about coverage. That's even before you think about Stefan Diggs and covering him or Gabe Davis. He's a guy that you, you might have to command two people in coverage to stop him because he's so big. I, I think it's just having those bodies on the field. I don't think they even have to run the ball more. It's just being able to run those concepts whenever they can. I think it's going to put more on the defense's plate. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the guy that I kind of keep hammering home about that people probably don't talk about enough here in Buffalo is their fullback, Reggie Gilliam. I mean, he's a guy that came into the league as a tight end, then he moved to fullback, and he kind of reminds me a lot of, like, I've, our next guest that I have on the show is Doran Dickerson. Um, and Doran, you know, from Pittsburgh and was a guy that played here in Buffalo and was sort of like the ideal H-back. He never really stuck around here or anywhere in the NFL. But, like, I, I view him as maybe an X-factor that at times last year when the run game really started Started to take its hold from like week 15 and on last year. Um, a lot of that had to do with their in with their sort of um, integration of the fullback and and not just right. any fullback, but one that can be a threat in the passing game as well. Yeah, yeah, he was a big deal for them. Like getting him on the field at the end of the year, I really think is was one of the key factors along with Josh Allen playing better. But it was one of the key factors in that offensive turnaround that kind of happened. I, like over the last month of the season or so, when he was on the field, he was only on the field for 41 dropbacks. But the average depth of target jumped from 8.1 to 10.7. Yards per attempt jumped from 6.8 to 8 yards per attempt. Like, obviously, this guy had an impact. And I don't think it's just because he's a good pass catcher, which I think is a threat you need to have if you're going to try to run this type of offense, like the Ravens with Patrick Ricard. He's not really a run threat. He's more of a blocker. I think he even played, like, defensive tackle for a couple snaps uh, in previous years. That makes it easier. Like that's you, You're not really using all five eligibles in the passing game. But if you have a guy that can catch a pass in the flat and do something after the catch, 
Now, all of a sudden, you have to worry about that underneath coverage. And if you're worrying about underneath coverage, guess what that opens up? That deep coverage. And that's what we saw last year when Gilliam got on the field. They were able to stretch the field in ways they weren't when he wasn't on the field earlier in the season. Steven, I want to kind of move off the Bills and into the rest of the AFC. I'll get to the Chargers here in just a second. But I kind of want to ask you about your overall thoughts about the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Because I think there's such an interesting case study on the, you know, hey, elite player in Tyree Kill, trading him and going with more volume, right? Going with Juju and and MBS and and drafting Sky Moore and, you know, keeping around Nicole Hardman. So they're going with the route of, well, we're not going to have a true number one we're gonna have a bunch of number twos and number threes because of the belief in a the system right with Andy Reid and that evolution this this offense can evolve past just being you know centered around Tyree Kill but b the belief that Patrick Mahomes is as good as he is doesn't need that type of player you don't need to pay a wide receiver 27 million dollars guaranteed in every year to be able to say like hey we can function at a high level as an offense where are you cuz i'm i'm a little on the fence about this Steven, about whether or not it feels like they fully thought out how important he has been to them. And I know that they know how important he was. I just think that there's there was a level of they've already sort of spent a lot of money on a lot of players and there just wasn't enough to go around. But, man, Stephen, that is certainly a bet on themselves and on that franchise thinking they're going to be able to overcome. I don't like Tyreek Hill as a person that much, but I cannot deny his the uniqueness that he brings to the field. He's one of the most unique talents of this generation. So I think like the evolution of this offense is kind of intertwined with the evolution of the Bills offense. I think they both faced similar challenges earlier last year where teams were selling out to take away the, the deep crossers and they had to adjust. And how the Chiefs adjusted was using Tyree Kill underneath rather than running that deep cross. They'd have someone else run it and Tyree Kill would be the underneath option. Now, Tyree Kill is a great player, but as an underneath option, I'm not paying him $25 million a year. I think what they realized was teams are going to sell out to take take away Tyreek. And that's an expensive that's an expensive decoy to have on the mm, field. That's a good point. And I think what they wanted, I think in theory, it might be easier to get those deep shots when Tyreek's not on the field because now you don't have defenses selling out to stop him. What they did was they brought in Juju. They brought in MVS from uh, Green Bay. Those two guys can block. They mm. can get under center now. They can run those condensed formations like the Rams do, like I talked about the Bills doing, and that's what we saw last year at the end of the year too. It's kind of what they evolved into. I think they realized Tyreek isn't as valuable as he was even two years ago because we're not mm. going to be able to run those same concepts. I think they wanted versatility from their wide receivers more so than replacing a superstar with a bunch of B-plus talents. I think they, just, they saw Juju Smith not as – not as like a Tyreek replacement, but as someone who could do a different type of role. Like you can play a different type of role and we can run a different type of offense because that's what we're going to have to do now because teams are playing more too high and they're taking away what we used to do. So we have to change. I don't know if it's going to work. It's a risk, certainly, but I think it's something they had to do. And I think it's something we've seen the Bills do, and it's kind of like the same evolution. Interesting. I, I kind of like the the way that you thought of, or that, that you explained it, and it – almost brought me to a follow-up question about Tyreek Hill and what it looks like in Miami, right? And I know the last couple of days, it's it's funny for me anyways to see 
fans in a team talk about practice like it is anything more than practice and that you can't really judge a player because you don't watch what he does against third and fourth string players. And I, I, as funny as that is, for me anyways, I think there is a level of interest that I have on what it looks like in Miami, because I think a lot of my people in Miami and fans alike think, well, it's going to look like Kansas City, right? And and he's going to be running free, and two is just going to have easy nine routes on his on the top of his drop. He's just going to loft it up there, and 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 Tyreek's going to run under it. And and I am am sort of the mind, Stephen, that if they believe that defenses are going to defend them like they defended the Chiefs, I don't know what world that they're living in. No, I don't, and I don't even think that's really their mindset. They brought in Mike McDaniel, uh, Kyle Shanahan, accolade. He's going to run. You know, he's going to have a fullback on the field. I think they signed a fullback. I'm, the name is escaping me right now. Was it? They're going to have. Was it the kid? Was it the guy from the Patriots? Uh it might have been. I, I should. Yeah, I, I, like, I can't. I can't remember his but, name either. But yeah, they got a fullback, so I, I don't think it's going to look anything like the Chiefs. Really, I think it's. It might look like what the Chiefs were doing at the end of last year, but it's going to look like the 49ers. And, and I think the question with Tyree Kill and whether the Dolphins are going to get the most out of him, people have have kind of put that on Tua. Like, is Tua going to be good enough? I don't think it's a Tua question. I think it's a Mike McDonald question. If Mike McDonald's the second coming of Kyle Shanahan, it won't matter how if Tua takes a step forward. If Tua's just fine, which he has been in the past then Tyreek Hill is going to get a lot of opportunities because that coaching staff is very good at drawing up deep shots and getting people open on crossing routes. And if you could do that with Tyreek Hill, who's the fastest man in the NFL, it's going to be tough to cover, especially when they have Jalen Waddle on the other side, who is close to as fast as Tyreek Hill. So for me, it's a Mike McDaniel question. If he can get this offense humming like it was in San Francisco, I mean, we've seen other quarterbacks other mediocre quarterbacks have success in this offense I don't think it's going to be a problem we saw Alex Smith take advantage of Tyreek right. Hill and Alex Smith was always known he had kind of had that same rep as, as Tua like I'm not going to throw it deep I'm going to check it down I don't have the strongest arm but he still got the most out of uh, Tyreek it's a great point uh Stephen Ruiz here on the Western hotline of the ringer got one more for you I kind of want your overall thoughts. I know I know how bullish you are are uh, on the on the Chargers. They had a really great offseason in terms of adding blue chip talent to a defense that desperately needed it. I think they probably have the best one two edge rush defenders in the league right now in Bosa and Mac. Where do you stand on the whole Justin Herbert portion of this, and what lies ahead this year for the Chargers and Brandon Staley? Because I think for me, the biggest thing I think the biggest asset is how aggressive and how trustworthy. They're head coaches in that offense and I know that people probably in Los Angeles want that to change a little bit after last year I sincerely hope that it doesn't I think it's one of their biggest strengths yeah yeah I I have no problem with how Staley approaches the head coaching position I think he did a great job I think he maximized the Chargers chances last year that was a very flawed defense and I think he realized he needed to keep his offense on the field he knew where his bread was buttered so to speak Mm. Uh, and the players loved him for it. Like offensive, you ask any of the offensive players, they love that they go for fourth down at like every time. But my one concern is the same concern I had last year. The right tackle position has gone unchanged. They have, they've brought in a lot of good players this year, but Storm Norton is still at the top of that depth chart. And if you watch that week 18 game against the Raiders, the one they, they uh, ended up losing and missing the playoffs because of, he was the main problem. He was getting pushed back and just served basically every snap, and he's still the right tackle. So that's my concern. Everything else, like the defense, I think is is fixed now. And 
it's hard to say that with an NFL team before seeing it out on the field, but Cleo Mack is Cleo Mack. J.C. Jackson is a good player. I don't. I think he was a little overhyped by Patriots fans. Agreed. We're calling him like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he's better than what the Chargers had. Right. Better than Michael Davis, which was their like their ISO guy, the guy that they played on the backside of trips. He would cover the isolated receiver. Now they have J.C. Jackson in that role. That allows them to get back to the stuff Staley was doing with the Rams, which he yep. couldn't really do with the Chargers last year because of the personnel deficiencies. So I think the defense is much is going to be much better. It was one of the worst defenses last year. I think it's going to be around top ten this year. And then Justin Herbert, I mean, you know how much I love him. I think he's I think he's probably the second best quarterback in the league. I know Buffalo fans won't want to hear that, but the sky's the limit for him. He's like. He's so good at everything, and now he's taking more control of the offense in year two under Joe Lombardi. So I think the offense might even take a step forward. It's still that one concern is Storm Norton because the tackle position is so important, especially if you're going to be dropping back and throwing a lot of passes, which the Chargers should be doing. So I'm a little concerned. I hope Herbert can stay healthy. I hope Norton isn't the same problem he was last year. If that is the case, like if Norton's fine, I think the Chargers have a shot at being the best team in the AFC it's just that they play in a tough division, yep. and that's going to hurt them. Steven, tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter, uh, what kind of work you got coming up here. I know we're in kind of the dog days of summer before training camp starts. Just tell the folks uh, where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on The Ringer. I'm writing something next week kind of about the evolution of offenses. I'm going to be talking a lot about the Bills offense. I'm going to be talking about the Chiefs offense a lot. A lot of the stuff I talked about during this during this interview, uh, I'm writing that for next week. And then I don't know what else I'm doing for the summer. Like you said, dog days of summer, I don't know. I'll, I'll come up with some content. But you can also find me on Twitter at Ruiz. Awesome, buddy. Thanks again. I appreciate all the insight and your time. Thanks for uh, for being so generous with it. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll, uh, we'll talk again sh- uh, soon, I'm sure. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Steven Ruiz there of The Ringer on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout because I've got to get us ready for the 12 o'clock hour. I've got Mike Tanier. I've got Doran Dickerson. He'll be coming up next here at noon here on WGR. All right, this is a wrap for Hour 1 here on Sports Talk Saturday. Uh, thanks to my guest, Stephen Ruiz. If you missed any of Hour 1, you can go to WGR550.com. Go to On Demand Audio. Just go to Sports Talk Saturday. Go down the list to On Demand Audio, and uh, you can re-listen there, of course. Next hour, uh, it's uh, jam-packed. I've got two guests coming up here. First and foremost, I've got Doran Dickerson, who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he uh, is a former Buffalo Bill. He played here in 2012 as a tight end. He's from the University of Pittsburgh. He joins us to talk some Pittsburgh OTAs, the quarterback competition, what the season is looking like for the Steelers. So he'll be coming up next. Then Mike Tanier is going to join us at 1230. We're going to talk about Dolphin, the Dolphins, not not Dolphins in general. We're not going to talk about the the mammal. We'll talk about the team, uh, their expectations, how it's been going, the comedy that's been coming out of Miami the last couple of days. Um, all that. So we've got uh, a jam-packed hour. You won't want to go anywhere here. If you're in your car, turn up the radio. We've got uh, a lot coming your way here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 